this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. So once a year, you go to the doctor, right? They take your blood pressure, maybe they prick your finger and they take a little blood and they give you a sense of your cholesterol level. Maybe if you go to one of those fancy healthcare facilities, they get you to run on a treadmill for a while, see how your heart's doing. You get a checkup. The same thing should be true of your business. When we look at your business through the Value Builder score, we're going to look at it through eight key drivers that acquirers care about. Whether you want to sell your business immediately or in 10, 20 years from now, these are the eight factors that business buyers care about. Knowing them now will help you maximize the value of your business going forward. Just go to valuebuilder.com and take the questionnaire. Hey guys, it's John Warlow. Hey, we're gonna do things a little differently today because usually on the show, we talk to different entrepreneurs about their exit. And the whole purpose of Built to Sell Radio is to really diagnose and get underneath the actual exit itself. What were the drivers of company value? What did the strategic acquirer think was important, et cetera, et cetera. And all of our focus is on your business and what it takes to make it more valuable. But today we're going to talk about the other half of the equation. What do I mean by other half? Well, in my experience, a happy and lucrative exit requires two things to be in existence. Number one, you've got to have a business that's ready to sell, which is what we talk about on the show and what we do at Value Builder. But the other side of the ledger is personally being ready to exit, having done the personal soul searching to figure out whether you are ready to leave. You know, funny thing happens when I hit stop record on Built to Sell Radio. What I what I usually hear on the show is the the kind of varnished or or the the sort of uh, whitewashed, if you will, or you know, best of experiences of an owner and in particular their sale. So it's a little bit glossed over. And I do my best in in doing the interviews to get them to reveal a little bit about uh, the things they might do differently, or the, if they had a mulligan, what they might do uh, again the next time, etc. But I I don't usually get the real regrets. But when I hit stop on the record button, I often find that the tone of the conversation changes. When the owner, the entrepreneur realizes we're off the air and we're just talking casually, I often hear the regrets. And the regrets uh, are often some of the things I wish I could capture on audio, but for whatever reason, the owner, well, clearly there are reasons, but the owner chooses not to share those regrets. And so, I started to think it would be a neat idea to try to codify some of these regrets, some of the themes that I hear once I hit stop record. We also went back to the data. We've now had something like 47,000 as I record this people who've completed the value builder questionnaire. And after analyzing that data, along with going through more than 200 episodes of Built to Sell Radio, we've sort of seen some themes around what owners end up regretting when it comes to the sale of their business. And it's very rarely the value of their company. 
they go into, many of us as entrepreneurs go into our exit thinking our most important priority is maximizing our value. I mean, I built a company on that topic. So it's something that I think feel strongly about and think you should feel strongly about as well. But the reality is for most entrepreneurs, when they look back on the sale of their company, the value is going to be important. In fact, it's one of the four drivers of a happy and lucrative exit by, by extension. But there are three others that I want to talk to you about today in earnest and maybe have you think about and do some of your own reflections on whether you are personally ready to sell your company. And so with that, let's get into the four drivers of a happy and lucrative exit. Again, today I'm not going to actually interview a guest. I'm going to talk directly to you and I'm looking forward to doing that. Okay, first one. The first driver of a happy and lucrative exit is what we call future vision. What do I mean by that? I mean, it comes down to, do you have something you are excited to go and do? Because for a lot of owners, when they contemplate exiting their business, it comes down to all push and no pull. What do I mean? Push factors of things that frustrate you about your company, right? It could be government regulation, could be employees not caring as much as you do. Uh, it could be any number of things that frustrate you about your company. Maybe it's just needing to, wanting to retire. All of those things are what we would call collectively push factors, things that are pushing you away from your company. And at the same time, the happiest owners, in my experience, who leave their company are more pull than push, meaning they've got something they want to go do. It may be another company. It may be that you want to get fit. You might want to travel the world. You might want to start a charity. And there may be any number of things you're excited to go do. But in my experience, really doing some hard thinking about what your pull factors are, the things you want to go do, that's where you have the happiest and lucrative, most lucrative exits. I, I mean, I, I think back to an episode of Built to Sell Radio. I think he was episode 100, although you could Google it. It's Sean Oshman. Sean spelt S-H-A-U-N, Oshman, O-S-H-M-A-N. He had a company called I Support You, which was a, a, an IT company. You know, if you needed your computers laced together, you want to get rid of a virus or you need antivirus software. I mean, you know, basic blocking and tackling service business. And, and Sean grew up in Colorado and had had his company for many years in Colorado. And he had a bit of an early midlife crisis. He was, as he describes on the episode, 39. And on his 39th birthday, he made a promise to himself, which was that he would be on a sailboat by the age of 40. He'd always dreamed of leaving landlocked Colorado and actually sailing around the world. And so he decided that by the age of 40, he wanted to live on a sailboat and be touring around the world with his fiance. That meant he had one year to sell his company. And so he went to a business broker based in Denver, Colorado and said, look, I, you know, I want to sell this IT services company. You know, what do you think it's worth? And you know, the broker said, well, you know, let me ask you some questions. You know, how much revenue do you do? And I, again, I'm going by memory. You can listen to the episode. I think it's, I, I think his revenue is sort of two or three million dollars in revenue. And the broker said, okay, you know, what, you know what, what's your profit? And Sean said, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's probably 10 or 12%. Broker kind of hummed it hot a little bit and said, okay, well, I think, you know, I think we could probably get you two to three times SDE. 
SDE is broker lingo, stands for seller's discretionary earnings. Essentially, it's the it's the cash you're able to take out of your company, profit plus you know whatever salary or bonus you take out of your company. There's a few odds and sods in there, but essentially, you can think of it that way. So Sean thinks about two to three times SDE for a second and says, okay, if you can get me two to three times SDE, then I'll sell my company. Broker goes away, comes back with a few offers. Ultimately, Sean accepts one. And again, you'd have to listen to the episode. I think it was 2.6 times or ish times SDE that he agreed to. Now, you may be listening to that and saying, well, you know, I'm hoping to do a little better than two to three times for my company. Um, you know, I've heard people, you know, selling for you know, much higher multiples. I hope I can get more than, more than that. But here's the thing. When I spoke to Sean about it, he was happy as a clam. Because on his 40th birthday, he was living with his fiance on his sailboat cruising around the world. Even though he had gotten what would be, I think, a very average multiple for his business. It wasn't some you know, front page story when he sold his business. It was a good but not spectacular exit. But he's happier than many of the entrepreneurs I've spoken with who had much larger exits. Why? In part, because I think he had a vision for the future. I think he had codified what he wanted to go do, not just what he was leaving and what he was excited to get rid of, which again are all your push factors, but he'd also done a lot of soul searching about what he was excited to go do. And so we analyzed the data on the first 500 users of Prescore, a tool we've developed and that, uh, that corresponds with the, the data that I'm sharing with you today. And we found that for fully one-third of users of Prescore, they had more push factors than they did pull factors. And so those are entrepreneurs that I think are setting themselves up for a potential disappointment because, again, they haven't decided what they're excited to go do. And so my advice for you is just get out a piece of paper if, if you want to do it in a cr kind of crude way. Uh, simply just start writing all your notes and about what you're excited to go do next. Doesn't have to be another business. Could be philanthropy. Could be travel. Could be losing 10 pounds. I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's just that you need to be personally excited about that. So that's driver number one. Okay, driver number two of a happy and lucrative exit is what I call structuring flexibility. What do we mean by structuring flexibility? Before I define it, let me tell you what I've seen in my experience with other owners when I talk to them about their future exit. What I hear is that owners often sort of have this fantasy about selling their company and that somebody's going to walk along, write a check with lots of zeros on it, hand the check, and that the owner is going to be able to simultaneously hand over the keys to the business that new owner has just purchased. And the former owner can just ride off into the sunset, hit the beach, golf course, whatever. That's the fantasy. <laughs> the reality, however, is much different in that most buyers of companies, whether it's a strategic or financial buyer, or private equity, whatever, most of them will want you as the owner to help them monetize what they've just purchased. In other words, they're going to want to help, they're going to ask you, and in fact, in, 
in many cases, legally contract you to help them monetize what they purchased. And they do this in lots of different ways, right? So you might be asked to do an earnout over a year, three, five years into the future. They might hire you as a consultant to give advice on how they can best monetize the company. If it's a private equity group, they might ask you to carry some equity in the new business. Uh, you might be asked if it's a smaller business to do what's called a vendor takeback, wherein essentially you you share you you provide financing, if you will, to the new buyer, and um, for, and and sort of receive part of your proceeds of the sale over time. These are all different structuring sort of uh, ways that a new owner tries to get you, the old owner, the former owner, in this case, current owner, to help them monetize what they've purchased. And here's the thing. If you don't do that, if you are rigid and dogmatic in your exit and say, no, it's got to be 100% cash at closing, that's your prerogative. But what, in my experience, you will find is that it reduces the universe of potential people that will be willing to buy your business, in many cases, down to a very small number of people. And what you will end up, I think, regretting if you go and sell your business without creating a bit of a marketplace for it, in other words, getting multiple bidders, is you might one day think about after a year or two, man, did I leave money on the table? In fact, I asked that question, and you'll hear it if you're a listener of the show, for anybody who gets sucked into a proprietary deal wherein there is just simply one bidder for their company and they start and stop with one bidder, they go through the whole process with just one acquire at the table, I often ask them, hey, have you ever thought about whether you got a fair shake for your company, whether maybe you left a little bit of money on the table? I mean, you really didn't create a marketplace for your company. And, and that, I think, is one of the common regrets that owners have as they sit back after a year or two, maybe you know, on their porch, they've got their feet up and they wonder. It hits them all of a sudden, even though they may have been paid an enormous amount of money for their company, they ask themselves, did I leave money on the table? And in order for you not to have that regret, I think it comes down to making sure you've got as many bidders for your company as possible. You don't have to agree to an earnout if you don't want to, but if you have multiple bidders, you'll know you created a marketplace for your company. When you have a marketplace for your company, you'll end up knowing that while you may not have gotten every last dollar that you hope to get for your company, you'll know that you got a fair price and that you made best efforts to create a marketplace for your company. And so my suggestion is that you ensure that there is a marketplace for your business. And I think in part, what you've got to do is approach the sale of your company with a degree of structuring flexibility, being open to multiple ways to structure your exit. And in a funny way, in a sort of ironic way, that's actually going to maximize the leverage you have to get the deal terms you want. Because once you have lots of bidder at the table, the deal terms kind of sways, to, the leverage in the deal kind of sways in your favor. And so if you, for example, are insistent you don't want to do an earnout, well, the more people you have bidding for your company, the more leverage you have to dictate the terms. But if you go into the exit saying it's you know, 100% of closing, I'm not doing an earnout, well, then you could turn off everybody before you can even turn on them to the prospect of buying your business. So uh, the second driver of a happy, lucrative exit is to create a marketplace for what you've 
built by approaching your exit with a spirit of structuring flexibility. Okay, driver number three of this thing called a happy and lucrative exit, this other side of the ledger when it comes to exiting, making sure not only you have a business that's built to sell, but you also have done the heavy lifting personally to think about whether you're personally ready to leave. Driver number three is what we call personal detachment. Here's the thing. As entrepreneurs, I think we over time derive much of our sense of self-worth and you can see I'm speaking in the first person here because I would put myself in this camp at times. We derive much of our self-worth from owning a business. It's, it's sort of what gives us meaning, what makes us proud, maybe what fills our ego. And I don't mean ego in a pejorative way or a negative way. I just mean what gives us a sense of of self-worth and satisfaction is the fact that we own a company. Certainly we get recognition in the marketplace, right? You walk down Main Street, if you're the, you know, if you're Bob's Plumbing and and Bob is the, you know, sponsor of the local T-ball tournament, well, guess what? That gives Bob a sense of pride as he walks down Main Street and people acknowledge him for that. We have all kinds of different cues and social cues along the way that give us a sense of fulfillment because we are the owners of the companies that we have. We employ people and we have an impact on the communities in which we serve. And that gives us a sense of personal fulfillment. As a result, getting rid of that business, ultimately exiting that business, has the potential to make you feel less of who you are, make you feel less important in the world. And so part of happy and lucrative exit is making sure you have other ways to prop up your sense of self-worth, to make sure you feel a sense of purpose, that you are making a contribution, that you have a purpose in life beyond owning your company. That is a really important part of a happy and lucrative exit. I'm reminded of uh, one of the episodes of Built to Sell Radio. I think it was a you know, 160, 165, something like that. It was with a guy named Steve Murch. Steve Murch, uh, M-U-R-C-H, I believe is the spelling, M-U-R-C-H. You could, you could Google it. Steve uh, is a friend of mine. I, I got to know Steve and um, I really sat back in awe as I got to know Steve better uh, by what a well-balanced guy he is. Um, as he describes on the episode, and you can you can go back and listen to it if you want, it's, um, you know, it's a really, really well-balanced guy. He's got, uh, he, he loves cycling, so he's he's got, he wears a, a cycling hat and, and in his life, and, 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 and he loves hiking. He's uh, a father, he's the cook in his family, so he has, takes great pride in, in being the chef in his family. Uh, he's actually a big World War II buff, and, you know, can recount all sorts of historical facts about World War II, much more than I ever could care to know, in fact. But he is a really well-balanced guy, has lots of different sort of sides of his personality. And he's also an entrepreneur. He's had four exits. Uh, his most uh, sort of famous one was where he sold a company called Vacation Spot for, he mentioned on the episode, something like 70 or $80 million, like an absolutely massive exit. So he would have any and every right, in fact, to walk around town with his chest puffed out and sort of presenting as a successful entrepreneur. But he's the furthest thing from that. If you met him, you'd realize he was a humble person with 
a lot of wonderful uh, balance in his life with lots of different roles that he plays, lots of different hats that he plays, that he wears. And, and I think he's emblematic of what we mean by personal detachment, that he's not so attached to his business. He's had four now, so any one of his businesses, that leaving it would leave him devoid of part of his personality. He has a very healthy sense of who he is beyond his role as an entrepreneur. And I think he really uh, sets the, the road, provides the northern light, the, the uh the, the, the guidebook, uh, the map for all of us to build up in our own lives a, a very healthy sense of who we are beyond our businesses. Um, I'm one of the things and ways we measure this in preschool is we ask founders, owners of businesses, hey, if you were going to have a big celebration, you know, like a, a wedding, a Christmas party, a bar mitzvah, some huge yeah, send up, who would you invite? Would you invite everybody from work? Would the guest list be some people from work or would it include nobody from work? And to some extent, sadly, maybe sadly, you could argue with me if, if you think it's sad, but eight out of 10 owners said they would invite mostly people from work or at least some people from work. And while certainly I'm not suggesting you, you don't have friends at work and you don't build great relationships at work, but as you go to leave your company, those relationships will change. And if all of your social life is based on the relationships you have at work, it will make it much more difficult to leave your company. So too will having your name on the door. You know, one of the bellwethers of having a difficult time leaving your company, one of the indicators of, of, of or predictors of having a difficult time with this personal detachment attribute is if your surname is in your company name. You know, it's, it's kind of intuitive, but if, if your, uh, your surname appears on, on the trucks that are driving around town, if it's like Larry's, uh, you know, Larry Smith and Sons HVAC, <laughs> well, guess what? Larry Smith is going to have a much more difficult time exiting that company because once he sells the equity in that business, he's going to have to look at his trucks, his family name, his namesake driving around, and he's going to feel, uh, you know, conflicted about whether that company is delivering the same level of service that he would deliver, that his family name is not being sullied by the new owner. It's very common that people whose company name is in the business name will have a tougher time with this attribute personal detachment. So, my, my, my recommendation to you on this element is to really do some heavy soul searching about who you are as a person beyond your company. Write down a list of all the hats you wear in your life, not only as a business owner, but you probably have a hat you wear as a, as a mother, as a father, as a son, as a coach, as a, uh, you know, a teammate, whatever. These are all hats you want to really accentuate and become clear in your mind, I think, about the role you play, because once you take off the business owner hat, you're going to need the support of those other areas of your life to f make you feel fulfilled and, and give you a sense of purpose and self-worth. Kumbaya. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not getting too heavy for you guys. And we can get into the last of the four drivers of a happy and lucrative exit. And that is thinking through how you want to involve your team. So here's the thing. When I hit stop on Built to Sell Radio and the recording is finished, 
I think the most common regret I hear about is wishing to have a do-over on how their employees were treated. And, you know, the types of things owners will say after the episode has stopped is things like, man, I, I had no idea how pissed off my employees would be when I told them. Or, man, I, I had no idea how upset my receptionist was going to be. Um, I just totally bundled, bungled the way I told that person. I wish I could do that again. Or, you know, I didn't even think about the fact that the new buyer was going to move our offices from, you know, one city to another city. And, you know, we lost half our staff because people were tied to the city in which we started the business. You know, I hear all these, these types of regrets. And so what I would suggest you do is think through four fundamental ways that you could involve your team in your exit. And before I share the four, I wanna share one that I would not recommend you do. Um, when I say team involvement, I am not for a second saying you should tell your employees you're thinking of selling. In fact, if you talk to M&A professionals, they will tell you that's probably the single biggest mistake you could make in exiting your company because employees when they hear you're leaving will fear for their job it's the first thing they'll worry about and it's normal they will fear for their job they will put their resume together in many cases they will tell suppliers they might tell other employees other competitors i mean there is a litany of things that employees do not in a, in a mean-spirited way, but just in a self-preservation way that will cause you no end of grief. And so as difficult as it is, to, and in many cases you might feel like a cheating lover walking around your office or your plant knowing some secret that you haven't shared with other people, as difficult as it is, it's imperative that you in fact not tell your employees. Something like two out of every three deals that go to letter of intent do not consummate. Meaning if you even get to the point of a letter of intent with a potential buyer, there's still a better than half chance that you don't close that deal. And it is not fair to your employees who are not entrepreneurs, who are not in the loop with you to take them through the roller coaster of telling them they you're for sale only to pull the rug out, rug out from under them and and not sell because of one issue or another. So I feel strongly that the right thing to do is not tell your employees until you're absolutely sure the deal is going through. So when I talk about this idea of team involvement, it is, again, I want to underscore, I am not suggesting you tell your employees you're thinking of selling, but I am suggesting that you answer the following four questions. Number one, have you got a plan? Have you thought through how you want to thank your employees? That could be simply thank you. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to shower them with money and gifts, but these are the people that have brought you to the dance. In many cases, they're the people that have worked side by side with you through the good times and the bad. And you may end up regretting not providing some level of thank you. I remember the guy from blinds.com. I'm embarrassed to tell you, I can't remember his name. Isn't that horrible? Someone could tell me in the show notes or on Twitter. <laughs> But he uh, he sold his company and every single employee from the people who worked the phones right on up, I believe, got a $20,000 
retirement savings account set up in their name. He had he had a hundred million dollar company, so it was a very very lucrative exit for him. But he wanted to make sure every single employee, down from the truck drivers to the receptionist to the vice president of marketing, got at least something out of the sale. Uh, I've had other people, you know, have big parties where you know spouses are invited and you know kids are invited and everybody leaves having celebrated the exit. It doesn't really matter how you thank your employees, but I think thinking through if and who and which employees deserve a genuine thank you from you is important. That's number one. Number two, thinking through how and when you will tell your employees. This is a biggie. So there's a lot that goes on when you get into the throes of due diligence. You'll be working two jobs, right? You'll be working your job to to run your company, but you'll also be running another full-time job at the time, which is going through due diligence of selling your company. You'll be working 80, 90 hours a week and it will be exhausting. And so at the end of that, you the check might clear and you may give no thought to how you tell your employees. In fact, it might be an afterthought. And so I think that's a mistake. What my experience would be and what I think you wanna do is really give some genuine thought to the logistics of how and when you'll tell your employees. The when I think is easier. It's when the check clears, when you absolutely are 100% sure the deal is consummated that you uh, would tell your you know, full staff. There's also the issue of how. So is it a big boardroom meeting that you have? Is it one-on-one meetings? Are there people that you know don't deal with kind of interest, you know, big information um, terribly well, in which case you might want to tell them behind closed doors one-on-one. All of these things are important to think through in terms of how and when you're going to tell your employees. Number three, who on your team needs to be involved before the deal is consummated? Here again, I want to underscore, I'm not suggesting you tell anybody that you're thinking of selling your company or that you're in the throes of selling your company. Having said that, you may find that the acquirers will need information about your business and that you may need to rely on other people in your company. And therefore, you may have no choice but to share with them the news. My suggestion is if you need to do that, you take practical steps to ensure that they rem- that information remains confidential. Number one, you can tell them this is confidential information and that you insist that they treat it as such. Number two, you can potentially provide a uh, an incentive for them to help you get through the sale of their business. It doesn't have to be shares. It could be simply a cash incentive for them to help you consummate a deal. Um, you know, you want to make this, take the steps that you can to ensure that those people you choose to involve are in fact uh, required to keep it confidential. I'm not a lawyer and I'd recommend that you talk to your lawyer about ways that you can uh, ask employees to do that. It probably changes by state, country. So again, I'm not going to get into providing legal advice. This is not intended as legal advice. I would talk to a lawyer in your market about what you can do if you need to tell uh, a you know one or two key employees uh, what you can do to protect yourself to ensure that they're you know motivated to make sure you help, uh, you have a, a, uh, a successful transaction. Talk to your lawyer on that one. But do, in, in fact, think about if there are any employees or employee who you might need to bring into the fold and how you will do that without the information leaking out. 
The fourth and final question I think you want to answer is if there are any stipulations that you are going to place on the new buyer associated with your employees. And the most common would be, uh, you know, are you going to insist that the new buyer keep intact your employee health benefits plan, uh, you know, health and dental plan? and other benefits. Um, are you going to insist that the new company retain certain key employees for a period of time or provide some incentive for them to stay? Are you going to ensure or insist that the buyer not move your location for a period of time? These are all things that I've seen buyer, uh, sorry, owners, sellers uh, insist that buyers honor. I want to go back to when we talked about structuring flexibility. The more of these conditions you put on your sale, of course, the shrink, the smaller number of potential buyers you are going to uh, you're going to have, because some buyers will not be dictated to. Right? They're not going to write you a check and then be told how they're going to run their business. But if there is a person or a very you know uh, important thing that you find just incredibly important to you personally that they honor it may be worth thinking through and 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 negotiating for that keeping in mind the more conditions you put on any transaction the fewer the people that are going to be willing to play ball against that condition so do so wisely and judiciously but if there is one or two sort of conditions around keeping employees or keeping benefits in place uh please think that through in advance again what my experience is once you get into the deal uh you will be working enormous numbers of hours to run your company as well as to run the deal and it, you're your time to think these things through will be very limited. And so giving some thought to them in advance, again, really makes some sense. And, and, and again, if we go back to the data, we've had 500 people use this new tool, the 500 entrepreneurs use this new tool that we've developed called Prescore. And we just recently pulled some of the kind of early data out of the tool. What we learned that fully 50, 50%, more than 50%, in fact, um, of users of Prescore had answered none of the four questions or at the most one of the four questions about their team. In other words, more than half of people haven't answered the majority of these kind of key questions. So certainly something to really do some heavy thinking about before, well before you ever really start to put the ball in, in or, or actions in place to, to, uh, to go ahead and exit or sell your company. Okay, so with that, let me summarize and just say thank you for listening. It's been fun to do this kind of unique episode and talk directly to you. I value so much your listening to the show, the comments you make uh, to me personally and on on Twitter and, and other social platforms. I um, I'm just humbled that you listen and that you ha find uh, these stories of entrepreneurs inspiring and interesting, and and the lessons they learn actionable, or the lessons they share, I should say, actionable and thought provoking. Uh, just to summarize what I've shared today, there are really four things that. I think you need to consider, along with how valuable your company is and the drivers of company value and ensuring you maximize the value, there are these four other sort of key areas that you need to sink your teeth into to ensure you have a happy and lucrative personal exit, um, along with the business exit. The the four things are number one, that you've got a vision for the future. Remember Sean Oshman and how excited he was to go live on a boat. 
don't just be push factors. Make sure that you've also got some things you're excited to go do. Number two, create a marketplace for your company. You want lots of buyers at the table because only then will you know you got a fair deal for your business when you create a marketplace for it. And in my experience, you need to be flexible as you approach your exit. If you're dogmatically insisting on 100% of your cash up front at closing, um, you may turn off a lot of buyers. And in so doing, you may never know if you created a marketplace for your company. And an ironic twist of fate, the more market, the more people you have at the table, the more you're able to dictate terms, but the inverse is not true. Number three, remember Steve Merch and how just well-adjusted he is personally. He wears many hats in his life and being an entrepreneur is just one of six or seven hats that he takes quite seriously. Similarly for you, Really think about the roles you play in society beyond just that of an owner. And if you can start to accentuate, codify, really you know, fine tune those roles, again, whether it's as a mom or a dad or a coach or a mentor, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an investor, all of these things will help give you a sense of purpose and you know, gratify your ego, frankly, which I think is important to ensure you don't really you know, feel lost when you go to sell your company. And then the final kind of practical thing is thinking through how you want to involve your team. I'm not suggesting for a second that you tell your team, but I am suggesting you think about things like how you want to thank them, uh, how you ultimately want to deal with the news, sharing the news, and, and, uh, and what, if any, stipulations you might put on a buyer, knowing that any stipulation you might shrink the universe of folks willing to buy. Hey, listen, throughout the episode today, I've referenced this tool called Prescore. It's a new tool we've created. Again, Value Builder Score is the first half of the ledger. It's whether your business is ready to exit, but the other half of the ledger is whether you're personally ready to exit. And so we've launched this tool called Prescore. Pre stands for personal readiness to exit. And if you want to get your Prescore and see how you're performing on the drivers of a happy and lucrative exit, these four elements of ensuring that you are ready to leave personally, just head on over to prescore.com. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.